Welcome to Cyber Insecurity, brought to you by INE. I'm Matt Kreischer, content specialist at INE, and as always, I'm joined by Neil Bridges and Jeff Goals. Neil is a cybersecurity veteran, both literally and figuratively. Uh, he started in Cyber Command at the U.S. Air Force and has since worked with Fortune 100 companies and PricewaterhouseCooper. He's currently consulting through his company, Root Access Protection. Jeff is a named account manager with VMware Carbon Black. He has more than 30 years experience in the technology and cybersecurity sectors, helping clients around the world achieve first-class security protocols. Gentlemen, welcome to the show as always. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's start with Tesla. Um, Tesla's been all over cybersecurity news lately after the company announced an attempted malware infiltration by a Russian national. To me, the most interesting part of this is the fact that a Tesla employee turned down a $1 million bribe to install the malware onto corporate machines. This it's kind of gets into a larger discussion about inside employees and how they plan that they play into a company's threat model. Um, Neil, this particular bribe was not effective, but what happens when a cyber criminal approaches and convinces the right employee to take the money and install malware? Well, I, before before I answer that, I do want to ask you a question because I know you've got pretty strong views on this. Is this does this fall into your definition of of Elon's Elon Musk's uh, innovative strategy and, and capabilities here? I uh, well, it's about as innovative as anything else Elon Musk hasn't done. So I mean. <laughs> All right, <laughs> man, you baited him and he just didn't take it. Now. <laughs> I can see he's, he's trying, he's got the look on his face though. Like he wants to take it. I, I do. I do want to have a strong, I do have a strong opinion on this, but if you were listening and you would like to know my opinion, you'll have to, you'll have to reach out individually. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think insider threat is, is, is a good way to put this. And, and I think that this is it, what's interesting about this, right. Is, um, yeah, you, when you look at the factory that they were going to target in Nevada, they picked an employee that um, um, clearly has some strong moral and ethical, you know, beliefs that what they were doing was the right thing and in, in reporting this to, to Tesla leadership, um, which does kind of speak to what I would hope to be the the culture, you know, of security inside of inside of Tesla and inside that company. Um, but but I think it's just as easily that they could have picked the one person who, you know, could have been outed or wronged or, you know, mistreated by, by a particular employee. And I do think we've seen, if I recall correctly, this particular threat actor was successful in the CWT uh, ransomware incident, um, whereby they actually did successfully con an employee and give them some money to install some ransomware, which ultimately led to, I think, like three or $4 million uh, ransom that was paid by CWT. Um, I, I think this is... this. This is going to be one of those interesting stories that we're able to continue to to look at and be like, here's an example of somebody physically walking up to an employee and saying, I will literally give you a million dollars, which is probably more than this factory guy was making to go do bad stuff, um, you know, for for what potentially could have been a five X or a six X return to, to that cyber criminal. I this is some very James Bondy cloak and daggery stuff, and I want to read more about it. Yeah, I, I certainly think that uh, from an insider threat perspective, uh, not only is this a, a a genius way of getting around the, hey, how do I actually get malware on a machine? Because it's not a, uh, a trackable clicking kind of thing through phishing. Um, you know, and I know they can 
hide their tracks and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, this could be like a brand new evolution of insider threat where you've got a bad actor who, you know, gets an employee to not do anything himself, but find the weak link in the organization who would uh, click on anything or who would be willing to do more unscrupulous things um, or even a temporary employee or a contractor that's harder to track down. Right. So um, I think this is a brand new kind of insider threat that uh, you don't think so, Neil? No, no, it's, it's actually not brand new. I actually, <laughs> I, I did this on a pen test about, uh, about four years ago. Um, I was doing a pen test for one of those collection agencies and, you know, it's a nondescript building, no walls, no windows, or, I mean, no walls. Did no you windows. offer the Tesla employee a million dollars? No, I did not. <laughs> was offer, that you? I did not offer to the Tesla employee. Instead, <laughs> I went to this credit collection uh, company and I offered an employee a hundred dollars to take my thumb drive. And he actually took my thumb drive into this credit collection uh, agency uh, office and plugged their thumb drive in. And everybody thought no I was way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did this on a pen test and it worked on a pen test. <laughs> that's why that's why this is such like so personal to me to see this happen, because it's like I actually pen tested this as that's a hilarious model, as a threat model for a company. Well, but I think this is going to be seen more and more. I mean, this is a, uh, a highly effective way to get things in. You know, I'm just so, uh, I'm I'm actually surprised that he offered a million dollars. You think this? What, what if both of you are right? What what if it isn't necessarily a new concept, but what we the newness of it is we see more high value targets being approached with even more money than say just a hundred dollars for. Uh, honestly, I I almost think that he it would have been more effective if he would have offered him a hundred bucks because the guy would have been like, oh yeah, it's it clearly can't be that big of a deal. That is a good point. Like a million dollars? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get a million dollars for this? That means I could probably go to prison for this. You know, I'm guessing that that would trigger his thought. Oh, God, that's interesting. We need a psychologist. That is really interesting, yeah. We need a psychologist. We need a lawyer and a psychologist on this show now. I have a lawyer coming on the show. (laughs) Awesome. But but no, because I, mean, I think that is a valid point because, I mean, like my first thought was like, how do you launder a million dollars? Maybe that probably isn't the really good thought that I should have had first, but. <laughs> That's very insightful about you. you like, Walter like, White asking those questions. I mean, but I mean, it is because I mean, you do have to ask yourself, it's like, okay, how exactly are you going to take possession of a million dollars and be completely okay with that as an employee? Like you're, you've got two thoughts. Do I turn this in because I know I'm going to go to jail, or do I try to figure out how to launder a million dollars? I know that's but, not where you wait, wanted. To go those are those company. are your first two thoughts, huh? Those are your first <laughs> the first two thoughts. Okay, awesome. well, to get us slightly back on track, I, I wanted to uh, to kind of breach a subject that you spoke about when we were prepping for this call, Neil. This is that you didn't believe that there was a way to account for this kind of insider bribery into your, your, you know, your, your threat plans. I, I, I do. I still, I do still stand by that. Cause I think that this is cultural. I think that this is, you know, I think that this relies on, if you take a, I mean, when you look at the satellite image of that factory, there's probably 3000 people that work in that factory, right? You have to take into account the individual personalities of 3000 individual people in that plant and figure out how you're going to appeal to them on an existential level to make them dutifully, you know, um, loyal to you so that a million dollars 
doesn't seem like a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And I think that I think when you look at the time and the effort, and we've talked about this on the show, right? The time, the effort, and the money that you have to allocate towards a cybersecurity program, this feels like a threat model that you can't accurately invest in and measure the ROI from an effectivity perspective. Yeah, I don't know how you would tie this to an ROI model for sure. Yeah. Like, like, like this is like soft dollars of soft dollars. <laughs> Soft dollars of soft dollars that you won't actually ever know until somebody tries to offer an employee a million right. dollars. You know, and it's also a thing where it, it, it also brings the issue that cybersecurity is in its, itself kind of siloed within this IT sector of every company or vertical of every company. And really what you're dealing with with cybersecurity is you're dealing with HR because you like Jeff said earlier, you don't know who's easily clicking on every single link they they have. Like like Neil said, you don't okay, know who's Neil, actually. You, you, you've got a, a cybersecurity program. Who are the bad actors in the company you're currently at? I mean, you know they who they are, don't you? Yeah, like, yeah, I, oh I, my I, gosh, Jimmy will not stop clicking on stuff. We've sent him through training seventeen times. <laughs> every company has them. I don't know about my current company, and I would no, never. Everyone be- at your current <laughs> company is brilliant and well trained, and everyone follows the rules. I'm sure. But but I will say that that I mean, if you're not tracking your your constant clickers, then I think that <laughs> you're, you're either in denial or. You know, yeah. I, I like that you've come up with the uh, alliteration for your uh, your bad actors. My constant clickers. <laughs> it's the only way to measure it. I mean, you, you measure malware threats based on detections. You measure. Idiots based on clicking. Constant <laughs> <laughs> clicking. Constant clicking. Well, but I mean, but I mean, how, so then let's take that. You've got you got malware, you know, measured in malware. You've got you got idiots measured on clicking. How do you measure? How do you measure people standing outside of the smoke pit getting offered a million dollars to go plant a, a malware infested USB drive? Like, I don't how think do you do? do? How I don't do think you do. do. And, and in fact, I, I think. There's a decent chance that uh, half these people would take a a uh, hundred bucks and do just that, or take uh, fifty bucks and take twenty flash drives and strategically just drop them throughout the organization to see who will pick one up and put one in a PC. That that's why I I continue to test. Like I I think that I mean you could. I'm probably stay- giving people creative ideas of how to mess with companies <laughs> now. Pen testers like, have been doing. Hey, that. I'm gonna pen- save you a million dollars, dude. You know, it just takes two hundred. Pen, pen, pen testers have been doing that for years. We know it okay. works. <laughs> Before we call too many people idiots or get anybody in Neil's current company in trouble, let's uh, move on to Apple. Um, so, due to the rising rates of adware and ransomware on Mac OS devices. Apple began vetting and notarizing all applications throughout through their app store. However, it doesn't appear as if the process has been effective as Apple engineer as effective as Apple engineers would like. Uh, after seven months of notarization, researchers are finding notarized applications infect with uh, Schleyer adware, which was found in one in ten Mac OS devices. I don't want to pick on Apple too much here because I, I think this is an issue no matter what app store you're using. So. Uh, you know, Jeff, how do you think app stores are handling malware infections within their applications right now? Well, I, I know I've talked to Neil about this a long time ago of, uh, hey, if you are current on your Mac OS, you're probably safer than, uh, uh, you know, any other like 
device that you could have. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, whether it's Google or uh, Apple or whoever, they all are kind of taking on the responsibility of, hey, these apps are good. I'm giving them a thumbs up. And, uh, you know, if you go out and download this, you should feel comfortable that it's safe because we only have safe apps on our app store. I think they're opening themselves up to huge liabilities personally. I mean, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, was a self self-eating snake or whatever you call it. I mean, it's like you, you can't police every single solitary app. And when you do put overly restrictive permissions on the apps that you allow in the app store, then it takes more time, um, you know, you know, for the development cycle for folks to develop apps and get them, get them up. So, on the so app. you, you think that, uh, uh, it's overly restrictive to not allow people to have malware embedded in their apps. Well, I can't just blatantly agree That's... with you. I can't blatantly <laughs> agree with you, so I have to pick some side of this argument. <laughs> That's fair. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, so you are I'm just, just glad I chose the winning side of the argument that you're like flustered at this point. Like, this like, is good. Like, damn it! Now I got to choose. Now I got to try to defend this one. <laughs> I mean, I want to point out that we've made it through nine episodes, and this is the first time Neil has actually cussed. <laughs> All it took was agreeing with Jeff. <laughs> it's shocking, actually. See what happens? Yeah. He has not agreed with me once on the stream, and I would and I would rather cuss on stream than actually agree with it this time too. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I'm not, not going to say right. anything. I'm going to let you talk next. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I, look, okay. I do, do. There is a malware problem. Period. And and I think that that to think that the app stores are any different from from getting it in phishing or getting it out on the internet is 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 completely bonkers. But what I what I also think is odd is that you know. I don't necessarily think that Apple and Google, either one of them, do a very good job of policing their, um, you know, their source. And I, I definitely think Google is far and away worse at it than than, than Apple ever could be. Um, and 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 I don't say that as a knock against Google. It's just that like the whole nature behind the open source mentality that that Google Play has. I mean, if you've ever gone through like the development process for Apple, like you have to pay. At least when I, the time I was doing it, it was like three hundred dollars for a developer, you know, license, and then you have to go through this this, this ridiculous process to to get your code up on the Apple Store, and then if you want to take payments, and think the whole thing that Epic just got in charge with is like it's a it's a thirty percent fee, like if you want to take any payments through your app, and so um, you know, allegedly that thirty percent or that thirty percent fee is go, is there to make the platform easy and usable and safe for everybody that's on there. Um, but I mean, it, there's no SLAs behind, you know, how many pieces of, of software are going to go up there that are code free. It does, you know, we obviously don't see Apple taking into consideration the the lack of privacy, um, you know, concerns that they have for the apps uh, that, that are going up on their app store. So we're just going to let Facebook, TikTok, and everybody else take away all the, the private information. So, you know, I think it's that's why I think it's more of a that self-eating snake where it's like, yeah, we want the money, yeah, we want the revenue, yeah, we'll try to notionally say that we're going to block some some malware and things like that. But if it's privacy related or you know, you know, if it, if they do a good job of evading some of our detection mechanisms, which, which they have out there, if they're doing a lot of the the ad campaigns and whatnot, then, you know, we'll let them up on the app, app store with without a whole lot of um, justification. So I think it's 
I, I, I think it's more Trojan horsey whenever you hear about Apple saying, oh, we've cracked down on malware because that probably accounts for some of the, the edge cases and not the majority of the apps that are on the App Store. So this brings up an interesting question, though. You just mentioned privacy. Who would pay a GDPR fine if privacy is uh, uh, breached? Is it Apple or is it the application owner? Well, I think I, I think since the application owner is the one who owns the code base, then they're the ones who ultimately own the, the data privacy rights. Remember, Apple is just acting as a platform on here. And so to that end, you know, Apple has to make the deci- decision for itself about what it is and isn't going to allow on its platform. And they're saying that they're allowing apps that do not care about your privacy or have overly invasive privacy restrictions on their platform but if you're good enough to hide your malware, we're okay letting that go too. It's only if you're just like really, really obvious about you know the fact that you're malware that we're going to really stomp that down and take the opportunity to say that we, we shut down malware on our platform. So as a security practitioner, a CISO is listening to this and he you know texts you after the show, says, hey, um, so what do you do about it? But how do you respond? I mean, I think I think you have to have a mobile device management plan, and if you're gonna if you're gonna adhere to BYOD, then I think if you're not doing overly restrictive containerization in your mobile device management plan, then I think you're just asking for, you know, um, you know, any type of issue on on mobile phones. I think that you 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 have to you, if you're a CISO who's contending with mobile devices, you have to decide what role you want to play in the use of those mobile devices in your organization. Do you want to allow Jeff to bring your personal cell phone into the organization and, you know, call your wife on the same phone that you look at, you know, highly sensitive, you know, pricing information. And if so, then you better be using like the most overly restrictive MDM policies that are humanly possible on, on, on that device, whether it's Intune or Iron Mail or, you know, insert whatever company X here you want, you want to insert into. If you're, if you're, buying a corporate phone for, for your employees, then why the hell are you letting, um, damn, that's twice on one stream. Why, why, why the heck are you letting your employees install apps from the app store? Why haven't you said these apps are whitelisted and everything else is blacklisted? It's, it's one of those things where the same problem we have with a, with a PC, we don't treat the mobile device that we give employees with the same level of restrictions that we treat the PC when we, and, or we allow them the same leniency that we allow them with a, with a corporate device. And, you know, thus, you know, doubling or tripling in some cases our attack footprint. Well, don't you think that, for, especially with the work from home right now, um, and I don't, I personally don't think that a lot of companies are going to go back anywhere near where they were before from the work from the office environment. So I think from a work from home perspective, I think every CISO out there is dealing with mobile devices and user defined uh, devices. I think they are too, and I think that I think you know if they haven't already you know pooped their riches, then they're probably on the cusp of doing it. Where they realize that their failure to adequately plan for either a BYOD or a you know corporate managed mobile solution, I, I think it's catching up with them in a COVID time period. I think, and this goes back to something Jeff, I think you and I said on a couple of streams ago. You know, is that you know. COVID, if anything, is having a whole lot of people go, holy cow, all these things that I thought I had years and years and years to, de- to design and implement from a control yeah. perspective is now coming to bite them in the, in the, in the tail because you know, they're being thrust into to account for that. And I think BYOD and mobile devices is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I, it certainly is busting everyone's budget for sure yeah. uh, right now because they have five projects that they thought could take four years to implement. And oh, by the way, they all have to be done by October. Right. 
Right. And I think, I, I, you know, and, you know, I know that we're, we started this conversation talking about, you know, you know, malware inside of the app store. But I think that, you know, if you were to take a PC inside of a corporate environment, they've locked down the Windows store on most Windows 10 machines and almost every Fortune 100 company that's out there. They've done that because they don't want you downloading stuff from the Windows store. But yet you can hand an employee a mobile phone and you don't stop them from installing anything from the app store. Why is that any different? So let me ask you this though: in, in your experience, has the have the protocols around BYOD gotten better in the past few years, or are we still kind of in the same place where we were, say, three or four years ago, five years ago? Jeff, you want for you? Yeah, for- I, I was I was just going to say, from a management perspective, I think it's gotten way better. From a security perspective, I think we're in the same boat, if not worse. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it's hard because, you know, we want we want users to feel comfortable using IT. We we. And this may be you know small unpopular opinion, but we get so hung up on user experience in the IT space that when we go to give somebody a mobile device, we're like, well, what's their user experience when they have their mobile device at home? Well, it's so that they can do whatever they want, go wherever they want, install whatever they want, you know, on, on a mobile device. And so we're like, okay, well, let's let them do that. It's, with- it's actually so that they can get more productivity out of them and they can continue working at nine forty seven at night. Well, but I disagree that increasing the user experience means that a, a worker will work till nine forty seven at night. I, I don't necessarily think that that's it at all. I think when you create a, cult, a working culture, and again, I'm not a psychologist, didn't stay at a holiday in last night, and don't play one on TV. But I think when you encourage a better working culture, you can still get that level of productivity out of an employee. I mean, you can look at you know folks like myself or yourself, Jeff, who. You know, we know how to get our work done and be safe on our own personal laptops. But you could take, you know, you know, you know, Secretary X or, you know, Finance Person X or, 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 or Payroll Person X who doesn't have their own personal MacBook and doesn't need their, uh, you, know, you know, can do everything that they need to do on their corporate device. They're perfectly fine using that corporate device to do whatever it is that they need to. They don't need to surf Facebook on that same corporate device when, they, when they're sitting at home and they've got their iPad and they can surf Facebook on their iPad. So I don't think that that's I don't think those two things are necessarily related to each other. And that's why I also don't think that if if you're in a position where you're given a uh, a mobile device by your company, you're given that mobile device so that you can be accessible by that company, not so you can check your Facebook on it. And I think that's the that's the cultural difference that 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 we're running into is they're like, oh, I'm gonna give you an, an iPhone to do your business work. Well, can I put my Facebook on there? No. Yeah, fine. <laughs> we don't really care. And next thing you know, you you've got overly invasive apps with privacy issues. They're sharing your you know corporate payroll spreadsheet out on Facebook. The next time you play that video game, I don't know any security issues that Facebook has ever had. So I don't know what you're talking about. None. None. <laughs> They're practically just perfect. They they are. I mean, can't you, can't you see how serious they take uh, uh, you know the, their responsibility in the social media space? Well, moving from one possibly <laughs> autocratic regime to another, um, I'd like to move to North Korea now. From wow. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook to North Korea. Wow. That, was, that was a heck of a transition, Matt. Thank we you. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Holy cow. I am, I am particularly proud of myself for that one. Um, the U.S. government is warning banks and financial institutions of an ongoing threat from the North Koreans to, to hack ATMs uh, to potentially steal money. This would appear to be another action in a cybersecurity pattern by the North Koreans to 
devised sanctions by hacking their way to to money from Western businesses. Uh, Jeff, I, I know that we're talking about banks today, but how, how worried should U.S. companies be about the amount of theft-driven hacks to private industry from the North Korean government? Um, I think North Korea is going to do whatever they possibly can to make money in any way they possibly can. Um, so, I mean, this this article could have been written three years ago or yesterday. It's like they, it's the same activity and. Uh, honestly, uh, a, a lot of ATMs, for instance, we do a lot of work with ATMs um, with uh, with what I do just because we have an entire solution built around this idea of uh, why would I ever let things operate that I don't know if they're good or bad? Keep a list of the good stuff and nothing else can. So, you know, uh, gas pumps and ATMs, that kind of thing, um, were heavily deployed in that environment. Um with that said, I, th- I think you have to specialize how you treat some of these uh, corporate assets. And um, we have tried to solve every possible security problem with firewall and AV for the last 40 years. And that's an approach that you know was busted two years after it came out. And we've been fighting that uh, uh, direction ever since. I think I think nor, I think back to Matt's original question. <laughs> oh come on! We all know that my question is just a jumping off point, anyways. <laughs> Matt's just trying to get you to swear again, Neil. Yeah, but see, I don't, I don't like the direction that Jeff jumped. I want to jump. I want to. I want to push Jeff into this direction. <laughs> That's fine. Go. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Like that, we got you. Let's go. <laughs> um. Uh. Uh. Look, I mean, you know, people warning people, other people about North Korea is, is no shocker. I mean, you know, North, I, 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 I say this with the very, very, very most modicum of respect for North Korea. They have grown a lot from, you know, barely being able to use Metasploit to hack, a, you know, a couple of, um, you know, really easy targets in Europe, you know, almost five to, to 10 years ago to, you know, pulling off a $2 billion heist in, in Bangladesh and, and attacking crypto exchanges and, um, you know, things that they're doing now, but all all their motivation is when you look at their their TTPs and the things that they've got going on. Right. You know, they're just trying to find ways to evade sanctions. That's you know, they're a they're a broke regime. That's that. You know, the people are dying of hunger and things like that. And, you know, you know, a lot of this. Stuff, so they steal from Bangladesh. They, that's that they, is crazy. They still they, they attempted to steal two billion dollars from the central bank of Bangladesh through SWIFT systems. That that was that, I think that's all Bangladesh has. <laughs> <laughs> it's an international bank. The money goes. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, they they actually almost got away with it if if it hadn't been for I think uh, one person who happened to be checking the only fax machine still in existence um, in one of the banks in New York that was transferring some of the money through the SWIFT system. Um, you know, but but I think that that's so. So when we talk about North Korea, like you know unless you're a financial services company, I don't think that that North Korea should really be on your threat radar personally. Hmm. Well, I, I do wonder though, as their capabilities grow and as the U S government keeps warning banks about these, about these attacks, whether or not North Korea is going to get more creative, I guess, in the way that they're, they're stealing from Western companies. 
I mean, I, I think I think every company will try to get more creative. And I think as we see, so I mean, I, I think as we see interesting things around the crypto market get more mature. We just saw literally yesterday, um, you know, uh, some organization talked about being able to de de anonymize, you know, Monero, which was the last of the true like real privacy coins out there. Um, you know, I, I think as as the cryptocurrency continues to to expand, you, you may see North Korea get more creative in terms of how they get uh, um, how they get money. I mean, you saw that after the Twitter hack, um, allegedly uh, Coin Analysis or I mean Coinbase <clears throat> was able to stop almost four hundred thousand dollars of of the fraudulent transactions from the Twitter hack from going into into to different crypto wallets and so i think um i think you'll see creativity in that realm but i think you really ultimately have to look at it in the sense of you know can you move money from account to the north koreans and if that's your threat model i think that's where you need to really be focused on uh, on the north koreans but i think you know consumer packaged goods i think you know you know healthcare companies i think uh you know energy companies and things like that i think you know i think they're still a long way away from having to have north korea on their threat radar personally well, our last topic doesn't really have. We're gonna we're gonna move away from our normal format because there's no real current event that we're we're really talking about. But you know, I was driving up to the Northeast a couple of weeks ago, and and when I got through Washington D.C. and New York City, I did you know get five G on my phone for the first time ever. Um, now, I'll, I'll, obviously, five G has been in every conspiracy theory newsletter from for the uh, entirety of 2020, but. I'm wondering as 5G grows and it increases speeds for almost every device, guys, what kind of cybersecurity implications are we looking at early on in the in the 5G process right now? So I'm going to let the conspiracy theorist and Jeff go first. Really, <laughs> really, <laughs> he's got. Like, I want to I want to know how bad Jeff thinks the world's going to end now that 5G's out there. You've got 17 minutes, and then it's like the world is ending. No, I, I am not a conspiracy theorist when it, when it comes to this. No, and, and here's the reality. 5G is based on the same spectrums that uh, 3G and 4G and uh, uh, you know television have been transmitting on for decades. It's like it is not a brand new uh, set of, uh, of frequencies. Um, there are some additional microwaves that 5G has access to, um, but uh, the big thing with 5G is the, the fact that it consolidates a lot more wider-banded frequency ranges than 4G and 3G were able to do, right? So that's where you're getting the, the bandwidth from. And Matt, I'd be interested to see what the, uh, the throughput on your uh, uh, 5G connection was because Right now, there's not a whole lot of higher bandwidth 5G. A lot is still in the uh, the low bandwidth uh, environment that still is comparable to what 4G was doing. It's not until we start getting into the, the high uh, category of 5G that you're really going to see uh, that that jump. And it will be uh, big. But that's not the, where the security concern comes say, from. Say, then, then, why, then why do you think the world is ending around 5G? <laughs> Man, that's a loaded question. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, the, the the only reason the only reason I thought we should talk about this is because there's been a lot of discussion around China and manufacturing of 5G equipment. And I think there is a potential of security backdoors being built into 
the software and the hardware and the antennas uh, that uh, China is making. And, you know, the UK doesn't think that it's a big security concern. Um, and, and maybe that's the case for them because they've been able to quarantine off certain pieces of it and say, okay, well, you're only going to have access to, you know, this small uh, section of uh, uh, the, the wireless data. Um, but I think the way the U.S. with competition goes, um, there's a lot more, uh, uh, I guess, competitive networks out there and uh, people that choose to use a uh, network that's built on top of uh, Chinese equipment. Yeah, I absolutely think that there's a security risk there. Well, but I mean, OK, so 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 let's let's pick apart a little bit of that. And, and, and I'm going to I'm going to hypothesize a couple of the things not to in, in your hypothesis are you going to potentially talk about uh chinese uh, nano chips that uh, were embedded on the uh, circuit boards are you going to bring that up i, I i'm going to i'm going to talk about or is that a conspiracy theorist that uh, is, perspective that, the conspiracy theorist did you jeff okay <laughs> so so look right let's let's look at huawei for an example right huawei has been from my days deep into the Air Force, right? We've always known before it ever came out in public that Huawei was backdoored by the Chinese, which was why you never saw a Huawei device on hey, any U.S. Almost, device. almost sounds like you're agreeing with me. No. Oh, no. okay. No, what I'm saying is I'm trying to put it in perspective that there are researchers that are actively looking to basically debunk your pathetic conspiracy theory. <laughs> There we go. So, so if, <laughs> let me ask you this. If you are still with the Air Force and uh, Huawei comes in and says, hey, we are going to rebuild your wireless network for you and it's half the price, would you buy it? The, the Air Force would never sign off on that because of Why? Huawei. Wow. So it's not just a conspiracy theorist here. It's actually our government who doesn't trust them. But that's my point is that if, but if you were in charge of that decision, if, if the government, if you if were in charge of that decision, would you say yes? It's going to save, I'm it's going to save 50% on the overall be, bill. He's triggered. I got you him. Could, you could be a hero. I got him. I got him. <laughs> you didn't get anything. You won't answer my question. I am because no, you, didn't. you just said the government would never do it. My question is, would you? Would I? But I'm not. I'm not making the decisions for all of the Air Force. You, you live in the you hypothetical are, world. The entire rest of the conversation, and this is the one time you say, "Oh, well, but I'm not." Do, do I? I have, don't. Do, I, that's do, not my role. I, do I, I don't. Have, I am not a. Do I a purchaser the for the Air Force? Do I have the same level of intelligence that those buyers do? Yeah. Okay. Then no, I'm not going to buy it. Of course not. I don't care how much cheaper it is. Okay, so we raise the intelligence level up to a Neil Bridges level of intelligence. Would you buy it? No. I wouldn't buy Huawei stuff because because we know that – I mean it's been proven. It's come out and proven that it's been backdoored by the Chinese. It's been banned across all the U.S., not because it's made in China, but because it's known to be backdoored by the PLA. I'm sure that if somebody were to find these super secret nano microchips on 5G antennas that were made by the Chinese that were set there to backdoor Verizon's 5G antennas, you would hear them ban that technology as well. Like, you know, you and I with our measly little iPhones aren't the only ones using these 5G antennas. The entire 
you know, secrecy of the government, and, you know, command tree and everything else that's inside a inside of our organization uses the Verizon 5G antennas. Do you think that they're going to let the Chinese backdoor a 5G antenna just like, eh, it's on Verizon's network. It's their problem. They can go deal with it. You know, so it, we're talking exactly the same side of the argument again. I'm saying is that if they haven't come out and banned it yet, then there's no I, evidence that, that there's Chinese threat behind it. They already did ban it. They haven't. We can't, banned, we can't they, use. They haven't banned it in the U.S. Huawei. No, we took Huawei or 5G. Huawei. Well, duh, Huawei's banned. I'm talking 5G now. Keep up, Jeff. <laughs> For those of you listening, 5G is a technology. Huawei is a manufacturer of that technology. Good job. I'm glad you did your homework. <laughs> Duh. For those of you listening at home, I have not only changed into a referee shirt, but a tinfoil hat as well. You need a whistle. We need something louder than Neil. Oh, my God. <laughs> just, just so you know, I'll be the same level as you when they go and post edit this. <laughs> um you're going to literally have half your words cut out when they post edit this. <laughs> Adam, if you're listening, we're sorry. Adam, Neil is not sorry. He's going to do it again. <laughs> At least we're calling our, our fantastic production editor by his real name this week, not Andy. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I'll just say this. I don't think that there's any security concerns that we have with 5G. Right? I, would, I, would, I, I do agree with that. Yeah, I, Jeff agreed on stream. Done. End of conversation. It's not the end of the conversation because that wasn't necessarily the discussion. The discussion was as you have Chinese overlap to 5G technology. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Huawei. And that's exactly the point. And, it, and if what Huawei- other Chinese 5G is there? I'm just saying, like, there's no... What, there's, what, what other 5G is there that is Chinese-built? Which is why there's no 5G in America built with Huawei. Wasn't that the conversation? You were trying to say something about super nano microchips all over 5G. Oh, no, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> I was talking about was the, the, the nanochips that came out, like, a year ago or a year and a half ago. Were, were these Elon Musk's brain chips that you were that you were firing yeah, up about? <laughs> You want to talk I about like you're baiting me again, and I'm just not going to take it. I think Elon Musk is a genius. <laughs> well, for those of you still listening who this, are, this stream has gone down. Yeah. <laughs> if you are interested in uh, checking out some, you know, more organized versions of these podcasts, check out the IT Experts Network wherever you get your podcasts, or tune into the INE uh, YouTube channel for new episodes every week i'm sorry everybody for jeff's performance i'll try to find a new not expert to be on the stream nice (laughs) i might actually have more experience on 5g than you (laughs) just because you've got it on your phone doesn't mean you have experience (laughs) on that note we'll be here next week with kool-aids and some nikes and we'll uh we'll talk to you soon thanks guys